Hey everybody, Aaron Noonan here. Welcome again to another episode of the V8 Salute Podcast powered by Repco. We've been in the studio for the last couple of weeks, so we've been able to get on the road with this latest edition and latest podcast. Uh, Leanne Tander is the special guest in this podcast. In fact, we had such a great chat recently that we've split it across two weeks. So this is part one of two, and we cover heaps of topics from her time in motorsport in lots of categories and lots of different cars. We talk about how she got into racing in the first place and how she wasn't the first of the Ferrier girls to get behind the wheel. We talk about her time in Formula Ford, where of course she was the first uh, woman to win a national round of the Australian Formula Ford Championship, some of the drivers she competed against, some of the hurdles that she had along the way. We talk about her year in the Konica series, the V8 supercars with Gary Rogers Motorsport in 2001 and how that didn't go to plan as it had been uh, potentially thought to be. And we talk about her kids, Scarlett and Sebastian, who are going karting as well and carrying on that Tanda racing gene as well. So here we go. Buckle up. It's time to start part one of Leanne Tanda on the V8 Sleuth podcast, powered by Repco. Leanne Tanda, thank you for sitting down on the V8 Sleuth podcast, powered by Repco. We are, thank you, by the way, for hosting this podcast chat. We're sitting, I'm looking at helmets, trophies, uh, all sorts of racing memorabilia here, of not just yours, but your husband's as well. This is a Garth Free Zone, this podcast today. <laughs> yep. This is a Leanne podcast. Yep. Nothing about Garth. He's been on before. Mm-hmm. This is all about you. Yeah, okay? he's had his time. He's had his time. We might get him back for another one later on down the track, but yep. this is all about you. I want to start, what's your racing driver status at the moment? Are you semi-retired, open to a phone call, too busy doing other things? What's your what's your racing world these days? Yeah, a bit of a mix of all of that. Mm. I like to call myself a lady driver now <laughs> instead of a gentleman driver. Um, look, I am. I'm working as – I have a real job. So, I'm working as a provisional psychologist now, which takes up a lot of time. I'm also obviously a mother. Um, and, you know, with COVID last year, you know, there hasn't been much going on. So, for me, it's kind of – there's nothing – I'm not currently trying to get – anything together to go racing um but that's not to say i'll not drive again it just depends on sort of what comes up um you know maybe we'll get the formula ford going again i don't know but at this point there's nothing there's nothing i'm actually working towards right now yeah so if there was a a one-off that someone rang up with hey got this car it's on x date that date's free why not it's still open to open to do. So, anyone out there with a race car and pile of money, uh, pass it on through us, and we'll give most of it to Leanne to to run a race car. Um, you talk about Formula Ford. Have you still got that? Yes, I have. I have two Formula Fords. Now, is this the one that you won the championship in a few years ago? So we have that one, but mm-hmm. that's actually um, Sonic have still got that, so mm-hmm. they lease that out to their customers. But I've also got the one I drove in two thousand. Oh, wow. Yep. I was going to talk to you about that 2000 Formula Ford season. So, this is the Valvoline Stealth. Yes. which So, that was a topic I was going to start on later, but we might as well go into it now. <laughs> so, you won at Phillip Island that mm-hmm. week, that year. Yep. I think you finished third in the championship. Yeah, unfortunately. I'm sorry, Robin. <laughs> uh, but it was, it was notable at the time because you were the first female driver to win a round of the National Formula Ford Championship. So, what's a Stealth? Because there's a lot of people listening who might have forgotten or not known, but it's kind of the new car that you got without getting a new car when you were in Formula Ford. Just explain a bit about what that was. Yeah, so um, 
basically they're, they're made by Brett Lupton from Fastlane Racing over in Perth. And he's basically used a 94 or 95 Van Diemen chassis and then made some modifications. And don't ask me what those modifications are. I, I looked this up the other day because I thought it might come up. So they, the engine cowling was lower. They, it's yep. like they'd lopped the top off. Chopped the top off. off. And it was a mono shock that became a dual shock from – Yep. memory and I think it was a 94 that was the basis of but this was like a they were five or six years old yeah and the thing stage. is that by the time we got to so I think I raced it in um 98 99 and 2000 and by that point the new cars that you bought they had to have uh, wider side pods so basically the car's in a straight line was slower because they were wider and bigger. So he was able to get around those rules by modifying the older chassis because then we didn't have to comply to the same width and the same side impact protection. So, um, so yeah, they were really good in a straight line, had a little snorkel out the side. They That's were very, right, I remember that, um, yeah. Yeah, it was very easy to spot them. And I think there's a million of them racing over in New Zealand. They loved them too. So, um, yeah, so that's the, the chassis that I drove in. And did you – by that back over the journey? Did you keep it the whole way through? How did you end up with it? So, I, I like, as you know, I love the old car <laughs> stuff and what goes where and how it all ends up. Yeah, so we um, we kept it over in Perth though. So Brett used it for other customers and things like that over in Perth. And then a few years ago, we decided we um, wanted it back. So we asked him for it back and we got it. Got it back. And so, is it in the Valvoline colours? No, not at the moment. So we've act- I actually drove it again. I've been driving it again a couple of times. So since I had the kids, it was because it's the um, Kent Formula Ford, it's a little bit less full on than the Duratec. So it was, a, it was a good way to sort of have a drive again after having the kids and it's a car that's comfortable. So it has been um, stick it up differently. And the, the plan is eventually to probably sticker it up as it was that year, but the kids have already spotted it in the shed <laughs> and they've already commented that um, they want to drive it. So, <laughs> so it might not get fully ref- refurbished until um, after they're done with it. I've got a funny feeling that now that you've said this, <laughs> somehow they're going to hear about this and somehow you're never ever going to not hear about it in the future. But Because yeah. they're now karting. Yeah. So how old are Sebastian and Scarlett now? So Sebastian's eight. And Scarlett is nine. She's nearly ten. She'll be ten in June. And they kind of they kind of got like everybody in the world got screwed around a bit by COVID last year. So last year was supposed to be the year that we were going to go out and start racing and you know get them off their peas and get all the experience and all that kind of stuff. And and obviously they missed out like like all the kids really, um, all the kids in Victoria anyway mm. um, missed out on a lot of that last year. So they really didn't get going until the end of last year. Um, so they've really only just – Sebastian's only just got off his P-plates. Scarlett got off hers um, a little bit earlier. But we're just in that beginner beginner stage at the moment, having and, fun. And I'm presuming that it's because they've seen what mum and dad have done that they've pestered you to do this. Clearly, a lot of people don't push their kids into what they do. It just sort of works out that way when they're around it so much. I think before we started this chat, Garth was telling me that I think your daughter had a silver or gold frequent flyer by the time she was three. So, <laughs> yeah. quite well travelled to a lot of race meetings, your, your two before they were even yeah. racing carts. But I presume that not only are they having fun, because at the end of the day, that's the, that's the reason why you're doing it and why they're doing it and, and why it's all great, but it's a great thing to do as a, as a family unit as well, whereas for others, it's you know whether it's footy or netball or, or whatever it might be, but for the tanders, it's going, going karting. Yeah, well, that, that's the thing. I mean, my parents actually bought the kids a buggy 
just to drive around um, at home when Sebastian wasn't even two, so Scarlett must have been three or four. Um, And basically, so Sebastian's been driving since before he was two. Scarlett wasn't really that into it then. Um, She didn't drive it as much. She'd drive it sometimes, but, you know, Sebastian, even before he was two, was driving around. And I think with him, we had literally no hope. Um, I did sort of hope that Scarlett wouldn't be so interested because I just thought, it costs a lot of money and it's a lot of heartache <laughs> yeah, and have a tennis head racket. banging and yeah, and you don't necessarily get anywhere anyway. Um, so I was kind of a bit like, oh, maybe she'll be interested in something else. But Garth was doing the uh, junior sprockets program and helping other kids when they are sort of getting started in go-karts. And when she found that out, she was, I think she was only five at this point, And she was like, well, hang on, why aren't you getting me into a go-kart? And we say, well, you know, old enough yet. So then she's like, well, how old do I have to be? And we said six. And she's like, right, okay, well, when I'm six, I'm going to get a go-kart and dad, you're going to teach me how to drive. And um, so, yeah, so she was the one that kept, kept sort of pushing us. Um, and then we got the go-kart when she was six, um, but with the schedule, Garth's schedule being away so often and all that kind of stuff, they actually seriously didn't really get going much until, like I said, probably mm. end of last year was when we really started trying to get them out there more yeah. often. Have you noticed from when you were karting as a kid to when now your kid's karting, are there more girls? Yeah. Uh, like lots more or a handful yep. more or what's, what's your take? I mean, this is something I know you've been asked a bazillion times because you've been a prominent profiled racing driver and you're you're a girl and mm-hmm. there's not been many of them over the journey but you you see more there's more girls out there competing and they're with families and, and yeah there's definitely more nowhere near as many as I probably would have thought like if you'd asked me back when I was karting in oh gosh that's a bit scary to think about it but so when I started karting it was nearly 30 years ago <laughs> it makes me feel really old <laughs> you're not old you're not old um if you'd asked me then oh how many girls do you, I would have I would have predicted a heap more. So, on one hand, I'm like, not as many as I thought there might be at this point, but on the other hand, there are definitely more. And I mean, from what I've seen, they're getting on um, with all the with all the guys. And I mean, Scarlett's only in cadet nines, so at that age, I don't think kids are really very aware of you know, boys and girls kids and kids. all that sort of yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. just another kid out there, which is great. Um, but from what I can sort of gather from the other girls and women that are racing, you know, it seems to be a more accepting place for girls and, and to be there anyway now, So, which mm. is really great. Has it been – and it's probably something that's driven you crazy over your, your career of racing where – people come to you for comment or to ask you a certain thing because you're, you're a woman or because you're a, a young girl, because you were the only one pretty much in all the car racing categories as you went through, there would be the odd other one and then everyone would ring you for comment or mm-hmm. compare to you or compare you to them and so on. Have you been drained over the journey because of all of that? It almost feels like we shouldn't even be talking about it. I mean, we're in 2021 and exactly what you just said about, you know, kids are kids. They don't tell if it's boys or girls. They're just going having fun driving carts. Has that been a, a thing that's irked you about your motorsport career over the journey because of that focus, because you're a female and at the end of the day you just want to be noticed because you're a car racing driver? Yeah, well, that's the thing. I've always uh, wanted to just be, I guess, recognised for as the driver. Um, but I've also recognised that I have come across some hurdles and stumbles along the way, which I always felt if I could make it easier for other girls and women who want to be in the sport because I think it is a great sport and I'd love to see more girls and women out there. Um, 
so if I could have help in any way, I was more than happy to. So mm. if that did mean that, um, you know, people would want to talk to me about that aspect, I'm I'm quite comfortable with it because there is no denying the fact that I am a female, um, and I can't get away from that. Nobody's ever been able to see me as as a, a non like a you know. Um, non-gender specific person I've always been the girl or the female in the in the class so I kind of just had to accept it I mean when I was a kid in carts I was trying very hard not to be I think there's some photos of me around in like a flannelette shirt and a cap and jeans and like just <laughs> trying, trying to blend in really hard to just blend in with the boys hoping <laughs> they're not going to notice but um yeah that didn't work for very long so <laughs> so I just had to accept the fact that yeah I'm a girl yeah I'm the only one and then if that if people want to talk to me about that, well, then great. Yeah, it's, it's a good thing to be talk, talking about rather than getting people who want to talk about other things that are not what you want to talk about, I guess. Yeah, but exactly. Tell me, am I right in remembering reading somewhere along the line that you got into karting because your sister got into it? Mm-hmm. And of course, you, your dad, we should point out, your dad, Mark's raced. Mm-hmm. He did the 12 hours in the, yep. the Easter period in the, the proddy cars in the little Suzuki Swifts, which mm-hmm. I, I couldn't help but think of him and those guys in those Swifts <laughs> watching the six hour recently with that little Swift that was punning around and we yep. saw it every kind of four minutes as <laughs> other cars tended to weave their way around. But it's kind of ingrained, but... It, was it you that didn't push or was it because your sister did it that you wanted to do it? Yeah, so we literally grew up at the racetrack. Like mum will tell you that she went into labour with my sister Belinda at Oran Park while dad was racing. <laughs> like that's how much <laughs> we were sort of born into. When they say you're racing. a racing family, that's a racing family. <laughs> yes. So that was a lot of our childhood was on weekends. Dad might be racing. And he was also heavily involved in the Honda Car Club of New South Wales. I think he was a founding member or something. So there'd also be weekends with the Honda Car Club, Motor Carners, um, going to Easter meets with them, that sort of stuff. So it was it was really just part of our childhood is being at the racetrack. And it was actually my sister's dream and she always wanted to race. And she was the one that was pushing dad and saying, oh, I want to race, I want to race. And apparently when dad was racing, uh, so when dad was young, you couldn't start carts until you were like 16 or 17 or yeah, something. Yeah, it's changed a lot so, over the years, hasn't it? Yeah. yeah. So he always thought that, oh, you're going to have to wait. Like you have to wait till you're older. And then I think as she got older then they figured out oh actually you you could have been racing for like five years already (laughs) so we've kind of (laughs) um but I was heavily involved in gymnastics I was gonna say but you were gymnastics weren't you so you had no interest no interest at all at all um my world was gymnastics and I you know I had dreams of becoming like an Olympian or something like that were you inspired by Nadia uh, yeah, wasn't I, every I young did gymnast like, of the era. I did like Nadia, absolutely. Um, and I think it was Monique Allen was the leading Australian Allen, gymnast yeah, yeah, at the yeah. time. Commonwealth Games type <laughs> stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'm yes. saying, I know more about car racing than <laughs> just car racing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was my world. And it wasn't until – so then my sister started racing. I think she was about 15. And that was at about the same time that I actually – gave up gymnastics. So I was only 12 at the time, but I'd already been doing gymnastics very full on for five years and it had become too much. And it was like every afternoon and it was weekends and I couldn't go on school camps because I had to go on to the training. And I was just, it was just full on. Also in hindsight, not a very healthy environment to be in. Mm. So I got to that point at 12. I'm like, no, I had enough of this. Um, 
And then I think, so dad and Belinda were going to the cart track to go racing. And I think mum saw an opportunity to have a weekend maybe to herself occasionally. <laughs> so, it was so there's like, a reason behind all of this. Yeah, yeah so yeah. it was like, oh, Leanne, you can go along with dad and Belinda and you can watch. Um, so I did that for a little bit and got pretty bored of watching. So it didn't, you weren't first up inspired and sold Love at First Sight. This was, no. oh, do I have to? Yeah, mm-hmm. I was there being dragged along, having to watch, getting bored, bored out of my brain watching these go-karts go round and round and round. Um, so then I was like, okay, can I get a go-kart? And at first mum and dad were a bit hesitant because they thought, you know, it was Belinda's thing and they didn't want me to come along and um, sort of take it away from her which I'm really sorry, Belinda, that I have done that. Um, <laughs> Do we have, we'll have to get her on the podcast now to even it up. Yeah. Okay. So at first they were a little bit hesitant, but then Belinda was actually amazing and she was the one that was like, no, 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 it'll be really fun. You know, she can come racing with us. And so I got a go-kart and my initial th- instructions to the family was because with go-kart and um, with the gymnastics, like I said, it was full on. It was every day. It was couldn't go to birthday parties, couldn't do anything else. So uh, my instructions were I will race when I want to race and I won't race if I don't want race and I might not want to practice and if I don't want to practice, you know, it's just going to be for when I feel like going Mm. driving. And my parents were very happy with that. They're like, yeah, whatever. So, I drove around. The first day, actually, I went and drove my go-kart. We went went to Wollongong um, and I think my first lap was like 54 seconds or something, right? And the track time that the juniors were doing was about 24 seconds. So I was super slow, like super slow. Um, and then my dad actually got Damien White. Yeah, the, to, the Iceman, as yes, the V8 Utes came yes, to know him as. Yeah. Actually got Damien White to come and coach me for a day so that I could kind of get up to speed because really when I was going that slow, um, it was a bit of a, you know, mobile chicane really. <laughs> <laughs> they had the sundial out to uh, time the laps, not the stopwatch. Yeah, so Damien um, – coached me uh, I think on the day that he coached me we got got me down from 54 down to about like a 25 second lap I think the gymnastics had really helped because I was very much of if a coach says this is what you do this is what you do then so you if do he it. says you break here then that's where I break mm. and you turn here and you get on the throttle here then I was doing everything that he kind of said um, so I got down to reasonably competitive times quickly with his help um, and then I still, I was just like, yeah, yeah, but I'm just, this is just fun. It's nothing serious. Um, but then I think I won my first race. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know where this is going. It's a ta- it's the taste, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I won my first race and suddenly I was like, mm, I like this. And where was this at? Where'd you win your first race? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Wollongong. Okay. Because I, I have, think that's really most of the places I drove was just Wollongong at the time. Have you still got the trophy? I don't what did you, know. Did you get a trophy? Was it a medal? I would a trophy because you used to get trophies down to fifth place. All right. Yeah. That was a big podium to <laughs> yeah. fit all those on, yeah. So, I got my first trophy was at Oran Park. I remember that and that was a fifth place trophy and I think it was because it was the Christmas meet. There was no one there and- um, Five out of six or something. Yeah. I came fifth out of maybe hey, five got to be in it to win it. Um, but then, yeah. So, that was after I'd been racing for a few months and then I think it was like another few months later than, than I actually won my first race and that was- um, you know, a deserved win, and that's when I kind of got hooked. And then I was mm. like, right, okay, here's the plan. Yep. <laughs> We're going to get We're serious in. about this, yep. and I'm going to, I'm going to be the best. So at the time, <laughs> so this is early to mid nineties that the cart stuff's going on. Yes. So who are your, who are your karting contemporaries that you're racing against or with or in similar classes that maybe our listeners know of from what they've done in 
cars later on or mm-hmm. who were some of the names around the cart tracks of New South Wales at that time? Yeah, a lot of, the, lot of good names. Um, so I, I do remember on one of my early races at Wollongong, um, Ryan Briscoe was there. So this is when I was quite slow and he was quite competitive. He, he, um, he went okay in carts. Yeah, he was not bad, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I think I remember him being there and then over time um, I actually became friends with um, – like Mark Winterbottom, James Courtney, Michael Crusoe, Dean Canto, um, and obviously uh, Ryan Briscoe. And, yeah, they were all the guys that, that we hung out with. Um, we hung out on weekends, like that we weren't racing, and we'd get together on holidays. And, um, yeah, it was a really good little group, um, actually, and, and I think everyone was really competitive in, in that group. Mm. So it was um, – yeah, it was fun. Were you the only girl at the time? Were you kind of the girl that went karting or were there other ones? Yeah, there, the were, there were a couple of others but not at my level that I was doing it at. Mm-hmm. So there might be a girl that raced, say, at Oran Park and that was like her club track yep. and she'd race there or another girl that was kind of doing it because her brother was doing it and not really that, mm, yep. you know, just doing it because it's fun but not having – like not competitive as I was and not having a goal to actually – make something out of out of her racing so the flame has been ignited here mm-hmm. on a, what we want to do with our life and our career mm-hmm. car racing is kind of the obvious step out of carts and formula ford for so many years for so many people is is the go how did you take the step how did you fund it did your mum and dad support it did you sort of sacrifice stuff to do it how did it all come to be to go okay well if this is what you want to do we're going to do it. So, wh- how did that all flow through from going from carts, fun, well, hang on a minute, I actually really like this and I want to make something of this. How do you go the next bridge and the next step? Because a lot of people fall at that step because they just don't know what to do or they don't have the money or they can't find the money or they just can't make it happen. How did you make it happen to, to get the next step? Well, we were actually um, helped. So, well, basically, we got to a point in 1996 um, – I was racing um, – oh, sorry, no, 95 actually. 95, I was racing the CIK Championship, I think. Now I'm all confused. You'll have to check. Mid-90s. Uh, <laughs> sometime. Just be delightfully was, <laughs> vague if you don't quite know the year. I've been doing it for years and got away with it. No one's figured it out yet. All right, so yeah. So in the mid-90s. No, it must have been, it must have been 96. Um, yeah, it was. It was 96. I was racing the CIK Championship in the carts. So that was uh, Inter-A, Intercontinental A is what I was racing. And that's – um, the same category that you could race overseas, so you could actually go. And I did. I went and raced in Japan once, and I went to America and raced because it's the same equipment. Mm. So it's a like a universal category. Uh, it was the FIA version, I guess, of, of karting. Um, so I was racing that in '96 and did really well, but it cost a fortune because you had to have like three engines. It's like pro karting. Yeah, like it's top notch. Yeah, we had like three engines because you'd have to have your practice one, and then your qualifying one, and then your race one. So you'd have three engines that you have to take with you to the go kart. Tired just let alone having to be the one change them all the time. And we had to carry them on as hand luggage on the planes. Um, you had to have however many sets of tyres again for your practice, your qualifying, and you racing. skipping school to do all this at this time. Yeah, I did. I did miss quite a bit of school, um, but you know it was fun. Uh, Pretty much everybody who's got a career in motorsport who went through karting. Yeah. Didn't really go to school much in yeah. those year nine to 12 type yeah. years, really. Pretty much. I mean, yeah. I did. My parents were adamant that I had to go to school and I had to keep up the marks and everything. So, but I did miss a lot as well. Um, but, yeah, so we were spending a fortune on on the karting and my sister had actually moved into Formula Vs. So my – and that was cheaper 
than the mm. go-karting. Mm. So my dad actually said, well, you know what, I think we should get out of carts because it's costing a fortune and maybe go into Formula Vs. So I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. So I went and had a drive of my sister's Formula V. And to be honest, I'm not sure how they met or how the introduction was made, but a man called Stephen Fryer actually was talking to my dad and told him that I really needed to go into Formula Ford instead of Formula Vs. So that's then we sort of went in down that path. On the basis of if you want to go anywhere and get noticed, was yeah. that the reasoning? Yeah. yeah, I think so. And um, and I think Steve could, um, you know, sort of could see that I had a bit of potential and that maybe I guess if you go in Formula Vs, it, it doesn't unfortunately lead anywhere as much as my dad is a massive fan of Formula V. Mm. <laughs> but it's not where a, a main game supercast team is looking for the – No. It's kind of a, a club national level category yep. as Formula Ford – was where people were yeah. looking for the next crop of yep, stars. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the thing. It looked like we could do the state championship for less than we were doing the Australian championship in go-karts. So that's why we made that switch over. Um, and I think we started with like a 1991 Swift or something. I was um, going to say, you had a, I, I remember seeing – was it green? I think it was blue. Blue, right. Blue and yellow. Remember and, it was an old yeah, 90s car. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think it had rocker arms as well. Um, Old school. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I actually started with that. Um, Do you remember your first car race, when and where it was? I think, no, not really. That's the thing. I, I'm pretty sure it was at Wakefield Park. Yeah. Um, so, like a state series yeah, type. Yeah, state Formula round yep. Wakefield Park in, in my old Formula Ford. and um, Yeah, but like anything we did, like it was the same in go-karts. My dad always had this theory. He's like, if you want to be the best, you've got to race against the best. So, That's a good theory. Um like we had, I had friends that were racing at Wollongong and they were only ever raced at Wollongong. So then they had like 50 trophies because they would win every time they raced at Wollongong. Track expert. But yeah, yeah, exactly. But they didn't go anywhere else. And then if they did go somewhere else, they couldn't really compete with these other people. So I was going to lots of different tracks, mostly New South Wales, but also up to Queensland and um, sometimes Victoria and stuff and race trying to find the best drivers and racing against them. And so then my dad decided to apply the same theory in Formula Ford. So I only had a couple of state rounds under my belt and then he decided that I was going to go into the... He just threw you in the deep end. Oh, wow. <laughs> into the Australian Championship. In your 91 um, Swift. Yeah, well, I did that. I just did like one or two races. I think um, Eastern Creek was where I actually raced in the Australian Championship the first time. And I was only like 16 and, um, yeah, and there was a field of – So, what year is this like that you start Formula Ford? 97? So, 97. So, there was a bloke running at the front. Yes. That won the championship <laughs> that – Lapped me. <laughs> Who are you married to now? Yes, correct. Yeah, funny how the world works out. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so that – like they had fields of over 30 It was so back big then. back then. Yep. Formula Ford in that oh, 90s mm. and into the early noughties when you were doing it more often. Yep. You look at the drivers that we have in supercars now or that are more, you know, retired from supercars or, or endurance driving now. Mm -hmm. That was – there were three or four or five drivers generally every year yep. who were clearly – going to be tabbed to drive in the endurance races or going to go somewhere or go overseas. The crops every year, they got a bit smaller as it went on, but some of those years of Formula 4, the racing and the people that came out of it, it was great. I, I wish we could dig out all those videos and, and show people how good some of the racing was because yeah. it was crazily good. And you're right, the fields. I remember my first ever 
uh, race I covered for Motorsport News was 97 at Calder under lights. Mm -hmm. And there were so many cars that they had a five-lap non-qualifier race. Yep. That's how big it was. It was like (laughs) 40-odd cars. It was crazy. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. And that's the thing. So, for a kid who has done like zero driving, um, chuck her in there with your 91 Swift and uh, <laughs> see what happens. It didn't really make me feel that good. I was like I said, I was lapped. I was I think I came like you know, 30th out of 33 or something like that. Like it was <laughs> it was pretty bad. Um, but that was that was the start of it. And then um, we decided to sort of. It was later in that year, in '97, that well, Dad decided we needed a newer car to be able to compete, which was nice of him. So we did get a '90, um, yeah, '94. Van Diemen, second hand, and then that's when we we met Brett from Fastlane, and he had modified Garth's car um, to make it like he. This wasn't even the stealth at this time. This was just some modifications to the bodywork to to make it better. So that's how when Dad's like, okay, well, Dad sent my car over to Perth to get some modifications done uh, and get it ready for the following year. So. We already covered the stealth, so we don't need to cover the stealth now. Yep. So, at what point here? So, are you still at school? Have you left school? Where a lot of people do the whole. Well, I'm going car racing. I barely go to school. I'm just going to leave school because <laughs> what's the point? But you were staying right through. Yeah. So you're trying to juggle a bit of everything here. Yep. Did it work? Was it easy? Was it hard? It look. It was hard, and it was something that. I did notice the boys didn't seem to have to do, which used to make me very angry with my parents. I'm like, no one else has to do their homework at the track. Why do I have to? Um, No, I finished year 12 in 98. So I was still studying while I was racing, obviously. And then my parents said I had to go to uni as well because, look, I was – it wasn't – school wasn't hard for me. So I was able to get by and still do quite well even though I wasn't there a lot mm. and even though I was having to study at the racetrack and all that kind of stuff. So I then went on to uni. So by 2000, I was at uni while I was also um, racing and, yeah, trying to trying to juggle it all. And were you doing psychology then? No. Oh, right. So what did you start? So I was doing commerce. So I did, uh, my first degree is actually a Bachelor of Commerce, majoring in accounting and finance. You are far too smart to be on this podcast. If you've got a double <laughs> degree, you're not allowed. We're going to have to just pull the pin on it now. Sorry. Um, yeah, so that was really – look, I didn't mind it. I'm, I like. Did you do learning. it because you had to do it because mum and dad said you've got to do something or did you do it yeah. because you actually really wanted to do it? No, they said I had to do something. Right. Like, that was the deal. It was like you keep working at school and uni and we'll keep helping with your racing. So they didn't want me to at, you know, 25 get to a point where suddenly we go, oh, okay, well, we've, we've got no money to go any further it hasn't worked and now you've got no and you have no qualifications you've got nothing. at all. Yeah. Yep. So they didn't want that. So they made me go to uni. Um I had a I mean I wasn't really passionate about it, but it was sort of like, well, I'm kind of good at maths and stuff, so I'll go do a commerce degree. Like it was it was not because I was really passionate about accounting and mm. finance. Um but it was kind of I, I felt it was a good all round degree as opposed to and no offense to anyone who's done it, but like an arts degree. I knew exactly what you're gonna say. <laughs> what do you come out with? Like you, you come out of that, yeah, I've got an arts degree, but what does it qualify you for? Like whereas this way I could go and get a job as an accountant or um, you know, bookkeeper or something that would be able to keep me going if I needed to. Mm. Um but, yeah, it, it was – so, yeah, I was studying the whole time and that's just the way it was. So, in that era, when do you meet 
Mr. Tander. Is this in the fast lane? Because he was driving for fast lane. Yep. They're a Western Australian team. He was a West Australian. He won the championship in 97. Then I think he helped Timmy Lay, didn't he, the next yes. year because he didn't have a drive in yep. anything. And then the Gary Rogers opportunity popped up and away yeah. he went and the rest is, is kind of history. You can listen to that podcast actually from <laughs> last year or the year before if you haven't heard some of that. Um, I think you know it all. Yeah. But where is it because of the fast lane link that you met him? Is that where it all started? Yeah, well, I met him because I actually knew Tim Lay through go-karting. The great Tim Lay. The great Tim Orange's Lay. most famous yeah. racing driving <laughs> export, Bathurst six-hour winner. Uh, probably the funniest guy I've met in Australian yeah, motor racing. Yeah, and, yeah. Great guy. Um, car dealer in Orange, if you need a deal, go see Timmy. <laughs> I think I've plugged him in the last two weeks or three weeks of, of, of the podcast because his name keeps coming up. Yeah. Um, so, it's, is it all his fault? Sort of, he introduced us. It's his fault. Then. Yeah. yeah. So he, well, he made the initial introduction. So I was pitting with him oh, on the basis of no. It was no, just no, a, no. oh, Garth Lee and Leah and Garth. Yeah. It wasn't a hey, you two would be no, good together. No, no, no. Garth had a girlfriend. Oh, and, right. Okay. Um, it was literally just that. I think it was Sandown, and I was pitting with Tim at the time, and I think Garth wasn't racing. He'd already won the championship, so he was just cruising around, you know, being pretty cool because he was the champion. <laughs> um, and I think he came in to talk to Tim because he knew Tim. And Tim was just like, oh, Leanne, have you met Garth? I'm like, no. So that was literally just that introduction. Um, and then – but then when Dad sent the car over to Perth, Brett then also said, well, there's a round of the championship here next year. Why doesn't Leanne come over and do some testing? Um and Garth can be like driver coach and help her get up to speed at Wanneroo because he's done a million laps here and all that kind of stuff. So well, when it's the only track in the state, yeah, it's the only one he's ever been around, just about. <laughs> so that's what happened. So basically, at the end of '97, so later in '97, like November maybe ish, um, I went over to Perth to spend a few days there. Um, yeah, just driving at Wanneroo, do some testing, that kind of thing. Garth was my driver coach, um, and. We actually hit it off really well as in like just he doesn't talk as much and I talk a lot. So, <laughs> so it actually um, like I was really shy to start with because I was only 17 and I was there without my parents and it was the first time I'd sort of done something like that. So I was actually really shy to start with. And then at a certain point he just said something like, are you ever going to talk? <laughs> and then I think he's now regretting that. <laughs> Um, like 20 something years later, I think he really regrets that statement. Um, so then I started talking and then I didn't stop, but we just, it was like, you know, when you meet someone, it feels like you've known them for a long time yep. already. It was yep. just a really natural friendship and connection. And like I said, he had a girlfriend at the time, so it wasn't even that, you know, necessarily aspect Makes it hit of it. it. Yep. We just really hit it off and, um, started, this is how old school it is, started emailing, Oh, wow, that other. was probably new at the time. <laughs> it was a bit new. Wow. Um, there was, yeah, but we started sort of emailing each other just to, to keep in touch and, and all that kind of stuff and, um, yeah, just became really, really good friends. So who made the first move? Um, well, it depends on what you want to call the first move. Did he <laughs> ask you out for crying out loud? Is that how they used to do it back in the days? I can't remember it so long ago. <laughs> No one actually asked anyone out. It just happened. But there was, yeah, there was a time that we found ourselves alone together and, um, yeah, it just clicked. Magic. And, um, but that, and that was, um, and this is probably bad because I think he still technically had a girlfriend at the time. Um, 
but that was just before he. Are you dumb, you don't dub yourself in here for crying out loud. <laughs> okay, it's been twenty something years. The honesty I feel that this like podcast generates is amazing. It's been twenty something years. I feel like she's moved on, and I feel I like think so. everyone's moved I think on. Everyone's okay. Um, and it wasn't long. Like it was. It was just before he actually got the drive. Um, with Gary. Yeah. Right. So, and at, at that point, we were sort of like, well, he lives in Perth and I live in Sydney and that's not really very realistic. Um, but once he got the drive and he was able to move to Melbourne, it became more um, plausible, I guess, that possible Melbourne that we could. Melbourne not as far as Perth It's not Sydney. as far. Yep. Yep. So, we thought we'd give it a go. Um, long distance relationship for three years and um, – yeah, so we were together a lot longer, a lot earlier than people realised. Like, no one actually even twigged until it was 2000 because when I won that race in the Formula Ford in 2000, he also won his first supercar race and it was Valentine's Day or it something. It was too, at Phillip so, Island. At Phillip Island. Yeah. So, then somebody was kind of like, oh, hang on, this is like a – someone twigged and knew and – made a fuss about it and then they took a picture for the paper because it was Valentine's Day and, and all that kind was of all stuff. And then it was like, yeah, well, we've actually been together a couple of years. and <laughs> Catch up, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, these days, Twitter, Instagram, mm. social media, none of it back then. No. I I think we could go back to that. I Do you know good. when we first started going out, we couldn't text each other because I was on Vodafone and he was on Telstra <laughs> and you couldn't text between carriers. That's how old we are. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, This was in a day when telephones were things that people actually talked on. Yes. Rather than yes. internet and email and oh, million other things. We did have things. that snake game. Oh. <laughs> Stop it, you're aging us very badly here because I'm laughing because I'm the same age as you. So, oh, wow, that takes us back. That takes us back. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So, what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego the number two, and oil, and find out. So how does the link then, uh, obviously you guys are seeing one another, um, You, he's driving at Gary's in V8 supercars, and then you drive for fast lane, wasn't it, but it was with Valvoline yeah. support. So Gary yeah. had a budget that he applied to Formula Ford, and in mm-hmm. the past there were like Jason Brighthead was a Valvoline driver, David Bernard was one year, um, Steve Richards. Mm-hmm. Oh, there was a you know along yeah. the journey, it was kind of the the, the seal of approval of someone to be yeah. the Valvoline driver. Yes, it was very in Formula Ford. So you got that for for two thousand, didn't mm-hmm. you? Yeah, I did. I finished seventh, I believe, in ninety nine, and and I think and look, I would have been because I'd probably got to know Gary a bit through. Garth and he probably put in a good word for me, which was nice of him. Um, but you know, Gary, he's not going to do something if he doesn't want to anyway. So he's not just going to give it out because it's a nice thing to no, do. You're going to have to earn it. Exactly. So I was, yeah, I was blown away that I was actually, I actually got that sponsorship. Um, yeah. And it was probably, so like we'd had some tough times in Formula Ford in terms of being taken seriously and, um, that kind of stuff. So for me, that was like a real, moment where I felt like, yeah, people are actually starting to recognise mm. that I'm not just here to be the token girl or or just to make up numbers. Like, I'm actually serious about this and that's just what I wanted people to, to recognise. And, and who did you feel didn't take you seriously? You're talking your competitors, the media, the scene of racing, bit of everybody? Yeah, bit of, bit of everyone. Like, the f- 
like I said, there's some really good people. So we've got, you know, like I said, Stephen Fryer and um, Brett Lupton and, and these guys, you know, they didn't treat me any differently. And then the guys that I'd been racing against in carts, you know, like Tim Lay and, and a whole heap of others, they were also by that point pretty used to the fact that I could beat most people on my day. Um, we, we had some issues with um, like originally, I don't know, the first engine we had from a particular engine builder uh and I was driving around and it was misfiring and he kept telling my dad it was my fault. Like I was driving, I wasn't driving it properly and that's why it was slow and that's why it was misfiring and that's why it was, you know, all that kind of stuff. And we were sort of being, nobody would take me seriously. So if we had any problems or complaints with something, it was just kind of dismissed because I was a 16-year-old girl and I didn't know what I was doing. Um, So it actually got to a point my dad thought maybe he was delusional and I wasn't actually any good. So he took me over to the Jim Russell Driving School in the UK. In the UK, yeah. because he figured we'll find out here whether she can drive or not. Because everyone's kind of comes from a, is at a similar level. It's all the same cars. You mm. all get the same equipment and everything. So we went over and did that, and um, yeah, and I was voted, you know, best driver of that class or whatever. Um, and and then that gave my dad that bit more confidence to go. No, okay, so he's obviously got some sort of talent here. It can't be all her. And then he. Um, and then that's when he kind of started looking for other people who were going to just treat me as another driver and not not just, I guess, use my my gender and my age as, as an excuse for not giving me the same equipment as they would, you know, because this is someone that you go, okay, they've got good engines because these engines are out there at the front. So we know they do good engines and here I am struggling to to qualify mm. in 30th. Um, and then as soon as I think it was Brett actually gave us one of his dog engines that he's like, this is just a spare we use in case, we carry it just in case, gave me that, you know, moved up 10 spots on the grid just with that change. So, and then and that's when my dad's like, okay, well, we've got to mm. we've got to get those people around us who actually, you know, believe in Leanne and, um, and don't really care, you know, what gender she is. Mm. Um, and Brett... If anyone's ever met Brett, you know, he's, he's no bullshit. Um, he tells you pretty much straight what, you know, what it is. And, and he definitely didn't treat me any different. And, you know, I've got to, I definitely appreciate that. I was going to say a common theme across the pod of the sit down chats we've had. Everyone along the way has a, a person, two, three, maybe four, five people who made the difference mm-hmm. along the way that if you didn't meet them or if they didn't help you or they mm-hmm. didn't open a door or give you a bit of assistance along the way, whether it was advice, money, contacts, whatever it is, that you don't end up where you end up. Yep. It's clearly Brett's and yep. Stephen are two, two of those. Yep. Who else helped along the way in that sort of period to get you over the next hump or get you to the next level? I guess Gary Rogers is probably the next one in that sort of list that sort of. opportunity sort of arose and but they sort of disappeared as quickly. But yeah. who else was sort of in the world at the time there uh, helping like out? Like in go-karts, um, Ken Mitchell was – so he was an engine builder in Sydney and he was – he became like my second dad um, basically like we got – and I'm still in touch with him now. Um, like he was really vital because my dad didn't – as much as he raced – cars and things he didn't know go-karts and was he still racing at the time actively himself or was he sort of slowed down sort of a small overlap but then he decided he enjoyed karting with us more than driving himself and had you retired your sister by this stage did you she was still racing she raced for a few years um i'm not sure when she stopped but in go-karts she was she was still racing um and that's when ken mitchell was helping us out massively in terms of 
making sure we had the right stuff and the right gear and we knew what we were doing with the carbies and, you know, all that kind of stuff yeah. and helping us make that decision about, well, what events can we enter and what should we do, what shouldn't we do? And then, yeah, we had Steve Fryer help me go from carts to and, and instead of Formula V off to Formula Ford and then it was Brett that really helped helped me up that next bit. Um, and then, yeah, and then after that, like it's actually – probably being Garth um, a lot of the time. So, I mean, yeah, obviously Gary gave me that drive in 2001 in the supercars, but it, that one was a bit of a double-edged sword. Um, we'll get onto that one, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then probably, you know, but then I had, you know, some great opportunities with like, you know, Rick Rick Bates when he sort of put my name forward in, for the Toyotas like to help when he was driving the Daihatsu Syrian and uh, he needed a fill-in driver. So, and he kind of helped me get into that kind of uh, circle. And then even later down the track, it, it became like John McMillan, John McMillan with the Wilson security stuff that helped me again a bit later. So there, there has been some really pivotal people along the way that have helped me make a next step. Um, but, yeah, my constants throughout have been my dad and, and really Garth from, mm. from the time I met Garth. Um, so, yeah. I kind of remember, I think it must have been that 2000 season before – that started. That was the first year I worked at Motorsport News. So I followed most of the championship of Formula 4 that year. That was kind of my... I remember that was you my lurking newsbeat. around. I wasn't lurking. I <laughs> came and asked silly questions, but I wasn't lurking around. You make me sound like a real weirdo. But the, uh, the, the class of 2000, if we just refresh, yourself, Luke Yulden, who won the championship, mm -hmm. Rick Kelly, who mm -hmm. finished second by, I think, a point or maybe yeah. two, the late Stuart McColl, mm -hmm. uh, who we missed greatly, yep. um, who kind of crashed for the first half of the year and then just Came went on back a really blitz strong. and just yeah. absolutely, you know, had he not stuffed the first half of the year, probably could have won the championship. Yeah. Yep. Uh, who else was on the – Will Davis Will, did half the season. Will Power. Will Power was there as well. Um, but he wasn't a contender. No. Because he was – he the next year he was the contender yes. when he took over Rick Kelly's old car. Yeah. Nick Agland, I mm -hmm. think he was on the scene then. Owen Kelly was in the mix yeah, that year. there's lots of so them. So, there's plenty of familiar names. It was really yeah. competitive. Have you got a – apart from the Phillip Island thing, have you got a standout memory or moment from, from that year? It was really Phillip Island. Unfortunately, after Phillip Island, we went to, to – um, well, then we went to Perth and then we went to um, Eastern Creek mm. and I had a big crash at Eastern Creek. Oh, I and remember that, yeah. like, destroyed the car. Like, Brett – worked literally all night when I say literally all night he he worked up until we were going out for qualifying on the next day um or I might have even crashed in qualifying and we were going out for the race and he was literally we were putting the car off the you know off the stands onto the ground while they were rolling out of the dummy grid and that's how long he literally worked all night did not sleep did not eat nothing and then as a car rolled out he collapsed and yeah. you know had to go off and <laughs> get Have a some lie down. hydration and some food and stuff so from that point and then we found out a couple of rounds later that the chassis was cracked from that's that and right. all that kind of stuff yes. so for me really that that first round is my standout because i remember on the saturday night after so we'd done the qualifying and then there was some sort of ford because Ford sponsored it at the time. Yep. And there was some sort of Ford function that evening and a couple of us drivers had been invited to go along. So we were there and I was talking to the other guys. Um, I can't even remember who they were now, but whoever qualified pole, because I qualified second, and whoever qualified pole and then a couple of the others, and they were all talking about the time that they had done and how there was no way they could have done it without a tow. 
And I had done mine without a toe. So, you're suddenly thinking, so, I'm looking good for yeah, tomorrow. Because yeah. I'm like, well, because no one ever gave me a toe, right? You have to work together in Formula Ford. Did you have a teammate, Ford. though? Um, yeah. Yeah, I had well, fast teammates. teammates were supposed to give toes. No, they wouldn't give me a toe. They'd oh. give each other a toe. Um, no one would ever give me a toe. Oh. So, I had to do everything by myself. Poorly. Um, I know. <laughs> Cry. Um, <laughs> but I just really, I remember, sta- like that moment, I remember standing there at that function going, and I said it to them. I said, oh, I did mine without a toe. You shouldn't have told them that. <laughs> and they all kind of just looked at me. Did they think you were fibbing? And I don't know. They just sort of, uh, whatever. But it kind of really buoyed me because I thought, oh, I can do that. With it. They need a toe. I don't. Mm. Um, and that's basically what I did the first race. I just got the start and just drove away. Mm. And they didn't even stay in my toe. And no. Like both races. And I just... That And I remember getting out of the car after I won that first race and my mum was there and she's like giving me this big hug and she's nearly crying and, and I was just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. Like I've actually, I've actually done something that like I'm really – and I had obviously won races before in go-karts but I hadn't won any in Formula Ford and, and it, was, it was such a big moment. I'd been working so hard towards it and like I said, I'd had some, you know, hurdles and things and I just really felt like, yeah, okay, this is, I, you know, this is really good. I like this. And it was so good, I think you won the next one as well, didn't you? Or you finished second or you won the round and that's... So, I won, yeah, I won both races at Phillip Island. That's right, yeah. And then we were, the second round in Perth, I came second to a Perth person, of course. Well, um, Perth drivers are always hard to beat. <laughs> they like to drive around the inside of the racetrack so oh. you can't actually <laughs> pass them. <laughs> uh, it's a special Perth trick. But, yeah, I think I came second there or something. And then that third round, I crashed and basically ruined um, the rest of... The year because then I had it this, took a while to find it. It took a couple of rounds. And why it was, yeah, because we went. The, the thing that tri- triggered us to go, okay, there's something going on. Is I think two rounds after that one, we'd gone back to Phillip Island and at the Konica series round, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, and I couldn't get anywhere near the times that I had done that first round because we'd gone there thinking, okay, this is I'm going to be able to sort of catch back up with some points here, um, and then yeah, we just couldn't get that time because couldn't. Couldn't match the times and so then Brett's like, no, there's got to be something going on and took a closer look and realised that the Shazzy was cracked. and um, So then, he, you know, he fixed it up but it had cost me a fair bit. Like it had been three rounds, I think, where mm. I hadn't been able to perform mm. where I could have performed. Mm. So, yeah. So at this point, clearly you've got attention because you've, you've won. You've mm-hmm. proven you can win. You're fast. You're among the top few in the championship. So this is supercars – the aim, did you ever want to do, you know, Formula Holden or did you, was it all about getting to V8s as the, as the next thing? And did that start to build the momentum there and the doors start to open? And I think everyone just thought because you were in a Valvoline car that, well, if you're going to go to V8s, it's going to be with Gary and because of Garth that yep. there was no other place you could possibly go. But did the phone ring? Were there other opportunities? Was there anything else that could have happened, should have happened, didn't happen? Or was it kind of always going to be down the path that it ended up going down? No, we um, we were looking at Formula Holden, trying to get a budget together for that. Um, we also had, um, I think my parents had spoken to someone in America, I don't even know who, and, and I don't even remember what it was, but it was one of the junior open wheel classes over there. And even if you come last, you get prize money. They love prize money. They do. In the States. <laughs> and they give good trophies. Yeah. So that was actually um, – that was actually something my parents were seriously considering was do we now go to America and do that because for what it would have cost and then you get the prize money, it wouldn't have been that much more 
than uh, Formula what we'd spend on Formula Ford, which you don't get. Whereas really prize you money. don't get prize money no. at all. Um, whereas Formula Holden was like quite a big step up with with how much that cost. Um, so they were seriously looking at going to America, but. I, and maybe it was stupidly so, I didn't want to break my family up because mm. basically one of them, and even though I was, you know, 20 at the time, um, my parents are very old school and they weren't going to send me over there so by myself. One of them was going to come. So one of them, most likely mum, mm. because dad is obviously working full time and all that. Um, so, yeah, so that was actually something that they were seriously considering and I just said, no, I don't want to do it. Mm. Um, and it was mostly because of that because I didn't want to be that reason that my family split up. Um, so, then, yeah, we're looking at Formula Holden and kind of couldn't get really get a budget for that. And and then mum and Gary were talking and, and Gary had um, – there was no other op- – like there was not really any other – <clears throat> sort of offers or phone calls or, or anything like that. Mum didn't want me to do supercars that year because she didn't think I was ready and I think my mum So, going back to Formula Ford? Smart woman. Not an option? Um, no. Because you weren't allowed to if you won the championship under the rules. No, you could do it again. But you could do it again if you didn't win the title. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I think that we felt that I was I needed to, to move on because, I mean, realistically, even though I'd finished third and I didn't win, I mean – what realistically it was probably only likely to go backwards <laughs> in terms of like yeah maybe you I proved your point you proved yeah your point. and yeah. maybe I would have gone out and won but then I could have gone out and you know finished tenth because mm. so it, well there wasn't much to be gained from that um, and then I think that yeah mum started the conversation with Gary about supercars and mum didn't really want me doing that. Hang on, she, so she didn't want you doing supercars, but she started the conversation. Well, she didn't start the conversation. I think Gary oh, right. must have started the conversation, okay. but she was the one talking to him. Right. And so she's sort of your manager at this stage. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much, yeah. And like anyone who's a mum knows, like you're pretty protective and defensive mm. of your kids. So, and <clears throat> looking at this, I mean, mum had a, a, quite a good level of insight into where I was, what I was ready for at the time. Like I felt I was ready for the supercars, and she didn't. And she had the conversation with Gary, and she said, um, when like when they decided, okay, we're going to do it, um, she said you know, she's going to need more than one year. She's going to and, – and Gary's like, no, no, this is going to be a three-year thing. Um, we're going to make sure, you know, because mum's like she, she's not going to just go out in the first year and, and, and win or even, you know, she's going to take longer than that to get up to speed. And Gary's like, yeah, 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 no, that's all good, you know, blah, blah. Um, no contract because, you know, Gary says, no, I'm a man of my word. You don't – you know, I've given you my word. I don't need to put it in paper. So we didn't have a contract but was promised a three-year opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, I think so to learn, get better, yep. win, and yeah, yeah. win, or try to win, and yeah. move, yeah, and sort of move up through whether it was into the main series or as a co-driver in the main mm-hmm. series or something like that. So um, anyway, the first year was like the first round was was good. Uh, it was better than good. I think you're <laughs> underselling it. I'm going to actually stop and put the explanation around it. So. Yeah. Round one, 2001. So, for those younger listeners, it wasn't called Super 2. There was no, no. such thing as Super 2. It was the Konica. It had been the V8 light series, but yep. by that stage, I think they went, oh, light sounds a bit yeah. crap. Sounds like cheese. So, let's call it the Konica V8 supercar yep. series. So, it was – and in those days, they weren't – they didn't race at the main game rounds. They no. were all standalone. So, that meant that we went to tracks that the main championship didn't go to, which was kind of a nice way for – Avesco, as it was called at the mm. time, younger listeners, that's supercars. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so old. Um, 
to have a, a V8 race. Yeah. So Wakefield Park mm-hmm. was the first round. Yep. You debuted driving one of GRM's Valvoline cars. Simon Wills was mm-hmm. there, who came out of Formula Holden. Yep. Paul Umbrell. Paul Umbrell. Yep. Dale Breed. Um, handy bunch of people who'd come yeah. out of Formula Holden mainly yeah. that year. They kind of jumped to there. So good field of people. Mm-hmm. Good pile of cars. Some ex Gibson cars that those guys were in. Um, and you nearly. I mean, you finished on the podium. Mm, I nearly, nearly, you nearly won. won the last race. We looked it up again the other day. I, I think you myself led, into the fish hook. Yes, you led <sighs> like twelve or fourteen yep. laps, something like that. Yep. Am I bringing back painful memories here? No, I've, I've oh, dealt with okay. it. You're it's right. been a while. Twenty years. <laughs> it's past. Okay, I'm over it. But you just about won a race yeah. in your first ever weekend in a supercar, and yep. I can't help but different time in that wasn't shown live. Mm. Was post produced and shown a week or two later on television with Grant Denyer as your with host. Grant Denyer was too. <laughs> G'day, my name's Grant. Um, oh, those trackside days were good fun. Yeah, but uh, point being, no social media. No. The attention and le- I feel like if today a female driver debuted in the first round of Super Two, banged it on the podium in the first weekend and nearly won a race and led you know ninety percent of the race. It, we'd be hearing about it for weeks and weeks, and rightly so. Mm. Amazing achievement. But I'd feel like you never got the credit for that because of the era that we were in. Yeah. But do you still kick yourself that you didn't nail that last race win? Because you did everything but win. Like, you ticked <laughs> just about every box that weekend. I yeah, get the feeling well, from that time. Remember you used to get really upset with things sometimes. Yeah, yeah. So did you I'm a kick yourself? fiery. Your, well, you should have been thrilled, but did you kick yourself that day and you were upset or do you remember being, no, no, I've done really good, I'm, I'm happy here? I was frustrated with myself, but I was also really happy because, like you say, it was like my first race and we hadn't done a lot of testing, you know, and I know that there were guys out there who'd done heaps of testing because, mm. um, again, for the younger listeners, no testing restrictions. No, um, it wasn't really in those days, was there? <laughs> Just... Keep throwing money at it and keep booking tracks yeah. and put as many tires on as you want. You yeah. know, go for it. Um, so we hadn't done much testing. You know, maybe a, a couple of days or something. And and to do that, yeah, I was I was pretty happy. Um, I know Simon Wills had been you know really competitive in the Formula Holden, so he was a really good driver. And yeah, it was one it was one mistake, and um, you know people make mistakes. But so no, I I did come away from that round feeling pretty good and feeling like it was a positive. It was going to be going to be a good year. And why wasn't it? Because <laughs> I, I feel like that's where you're leading. It just sort of went downhill from there. And maybe because of the start was so positive, maybe then the rest of it kind of couldn't live up to that. But I also just – like we, we didn't do we, – we barely did any testing. And, mm. um, and you know, Gary was quite – and, you know, understandably he's, he's paying for it. But, you know, you make a mistake and damage something and you kind of get a lecture about – you know, how much money that's cost and all that kind of stuff. But which, you know, I, I know about that. My parents had funded most of my racing up to that point. So I'm not the, I'm not like a rich kid driver who crashes and bashes and doesn't care because someone's mm. going to fix it up. Like I knew the cost of things and that, yes, that's not what we want. But you also can't go out and race worrying about the cost of things because mm. then you can't you can't race properly. And it, and it became a, it was more of a mental thing that happened over that year that got me to a point where I probably wasn't racing as hard as I could have um, and should have. And I think, you know, if you think about it, I'd only really started racing in 94. So I'd only been racing in total about six years. And Mm. so my experience was actually not that great. Um, And I think I was just very young and let myself get, you know, mentally um, 
sort of like you know your Red Bull second driver thing at the moment. It's it's, it's a thing. It's definitely a thing. There's no <laughs> doubt about like that. That I reckon it was a bit like that. It was just kind of a mental battle to be in that team and and keep performing at the level I I could have and um and then when we got to the enduros basically you know Paul Dumbrell was given lead driver status of our car which meant he was leading all the setups and his setup didn't really suit me and it just it just didn't it just didn't go the way I'd hoped and then last minute but you know when you don't have any chance to find another drive um and I'd been hearing from the other guys in the team we're not going to be running a third car next year um, and you're not you're hearing it third hand and not getting hearing told it through that. the guys of the team. I it's asked, a racing. It still I asked happens. Gary straight up because they told me that. I said, "Look, Gary, the guys are saying that they're not going to be. Oh no, I would tell you. I would tell you if that wasn't the case. Blah blah blah. So I believed it. And then very late in the year, I got told, "No, we're not going to be running you next year." So it was kind of very late to find another drive. But also by then, my confidence had been pretty much. I was about to say. So had the confidence been eroded so much over the course of that year? Yeah. Partly. It's not turning out kind of like it was supposed to be or it was presented to be. The results fell away a bit, um, not enjoying it. Maybe still – I mean, you're still young at the time. Yeah. You're not, you know. I was 21. Yeah, you're still relatively very young. So, there's probably things or ways you reacted to things when you're 21 that you wouldn't have when you're 31 or things like that. So, when you add all of that up, was that where you had the biggest confidence dip of you? If you look back over your career, that's where it got really the hardest? Yeah. Yeah. So, I nearly gave up motorsport altogether. Um, And then, so Garth and Dad and my sponsor, um, Nigel Malcolm from Fleet Care over in Perth um, and Brett. Kind so of had all Garth tried to stay out of this when all that was going on. Or did he was yeah. he going into bat for you or deliberately no. just went, This is your deal, you yeah. you sort it out with Gary. Yeah. This which is, all is you. which is um, you know, absolutely the way we needed to deal with it because yeah. he had his own thing with Gary and he that was his job and that had his own relationship and uh, you know, mine was completely separate. And were you in Melbourne? Had you moved to Melbourne I had by moved that to stage? Melbourne. Yeah. 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 And I was like all the other JRM drivers, I was working. Oh, what was at- your gig? What was your job? <laughs> I worked in the service department. Um, not actually servicing the cars for at anyone. At the car dealership, at the, yeah. the Nissan dealership. Yeah. yeah. And I, I was basically just like admin, like I would enter data into a computer. And, so, you couldn't even use your um, accounting degree here? No. Oh, no. Oh. I was just entering data. Has it data. come in handy for anything? <laughs> Have you used it for anything? I did work. Oh, that's okay then. Yeah. yeah you got some value I finished, like in, I graduated in 2003 and then worked for nearly two years with yeah, that. Yeah, So, so I did, still I did yeah. use it. It was worth it. it oh, yeah, worth it. so worth it. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so basically at the end of 2001 and it's all kind of fallen in a big heap. Um, yeah, like I said, Dad, Garth, Brett, Nigel all kind of rallied around me and were like, Let, we're going to do this. Is this where you're going, I'm out, don't want to do it, yeah. I'm done? Yeah, so I was nearly done and they're like, no, 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 we're going to do it ourselves, we're going to run a supercar team and – um, so that was a pretty much a schmozzle as well in 2002. Like we had a couple of reasonable performances, but we had, you know, it was, it was not run the way it should have been run. I mean, no, you know, nothing against anyone who was helping me and mm. trying to do it. It wasn't anyone's fault. We didn't have the budget. We didn't, you know, to do it properly. So, and that was in the development series. And that, yep. that was an old HRT car that I think Jeff Kendrick had had in Perth. Yeah. You so can tell was, me more about that. Well, it was 10 years old by the time <laughs> yeah. you got it. So, yeah. you weren't fighting with the latest and greatest. No. Of gear. I remember the livery. It looked great. Yeah. That it, deep, did, dark, it did look really blue good. And yellow 74. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It did look awesome. And, and, you know, I really appreciated everyone's efforts putting put into that to make it go and give me that chance. Um, but then, yeah, at the end of that year as well, I was just like, no, no, it's not. Definitely not going to do this anymore. No, that's it. 
So I was just, I was just, yeah, done. But as we all know, Leanne wasn't done with motorsport because this is only part one of our chat with her and next week we've got part two. On that episode, we cover a whole pile of stuff, including how she fell back in love with motorsport, uh, team ownership with her husband, Garth, with the Tandersport Sport team, running at the front in Formula 3 and returning to supercars and, of course, Formula Ford as well. Leanne answers your National Motor Racing Museum Couch Racer questions and also tackles the Motor Focus Top 10 Shootout. Don't forget our online bookshop. The website address you need to go to is bookshop.vhsleuth.com.au. There's a few bargains and a few items on sale. Head in there and check them out. Subscribe to our newsletter through the v8sleuth.com.au website and follow us on socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. It's on our socials where you'll find who our upcoming guests are and you can put in your question for me to potentially pose to them. Anyway, that's part one done of Leanne Tander. Part two is coming up next week on the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Repco. Chat to you then.